tonight, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't going to preach this. Uh, when Pastor, we were talking about uh, striving together, I put a list of things of, I guess, maybe topical things in, in the idea of striving together. And this is one that I was avoiding until probably later on uh, in the year. Uh, but the Lord confirmed that this is what He has for us tonight. And tonight we're going to talk about striving in giving. Yes, tonight we're talking about money. Yeah. <clears throat> and we're talking about your money yeah. and you giving it. Yeah. Giving it away with no strings attached. Yeah. And so just settle in now. And, and listen, it, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. If, we could, if, if we can get a hold of the principles that we're going to look at tonight, we'll understand that it's really a good thing. It's an exciting thing. And... Uh, <clears throat> The reality is God gave you everything you have anyway. And so it's all His. And so don't, you're foolish to really hold on to it if He's asking you to give it away. Um, <clears throat> let's begin by reading these opening verses. If you would stand with me in honor of reading the Word of God, we'll just open with our theme uh, verses here and then we'll uh, have a word of prayer and then you can be seated and we will uh, look at these other passages in the comfort of your chairs. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's what it's all about. Us together striving for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation... And that of God, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Father, tonight we do thank You for this opportunity to gather together today. And Lord, we thank You, Lord, for this church, and I thank You for uh, the faithful people that are here. And Lord, we certainly thank You for those that have gone before us to make this uh, church a reality and what we experience today. And now, Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts. Lord, you know the heart of each one here today. And Father, I pray that you would just work only as you can. Lord, encourage and convict as you see fit. And Father, I pray that we would leave this place more like Jesus Christ and that our giving would be well-pleasing in your sight. Thank you. You may be seated. The church corporately cannot strive together for the gospel without the faithful giving of God's people. Uh, that, that's just a reality, and I'll share a number of verses with you tonight from the Word of God uh, that will validate that. And so I thank God for this facility that we have, that God has provided. Uh, but it wasn't free, and it doesn't operate without expense. I'm thankful for the toilet paper. I'm thankful for the drinking fountain. I can grab a glass of water. This water, I think, came from the faucet downstairs. Thank you to whoever brought it up here. I'm thankful for the hand soap. After I dirty myself in the restroom, I can clean myself up. And all those things, the chairs that you're sitting in, the light that we're benefiting from tonight, uh, we don't charge any of you for that. Uh, the church, I say we, um, we're not charging anybody. 
that's all free, but it's not free. Uh, it costs. Um, <clears throat> those that have gone before us worked and sacrificed so that we can enjoy this facility. Uh, I know the story behind this, this building and, and how God worked to bring the church into this facility. And it was by the giving of God's people that we can enjoy what we have. And so as we talk about this idea of striving together and going forward, if we're going to do more for Christ than what we're doing now, and listen, this is all based on God bringing the increase. I'm not saying by, by just you giving out of the flesh and, and you contributing your finances that we're just going to be able to buy a bigger building and things are going to be happy and great. We certainly want God to, to grow our, our church spiritually, uh, but numerically. We want people to be saved and to be baptized and to disciple them and to teach them to go reach others. And so if we're going to strive for the gospel, it's going to cost. We need more money. The more people you reach, the more money it costs. Our city's big enough to where we could pick up more people with vans. If we want to continue to go forward, I'm just simply saying it's going to require finances. And we shouldn't be worried about that. God can provide all of that. So don't, don't go home all anxious and stressed out trying to figure out how we can afford to do more for Christ. Uh, God will supply everything that we need to go forward for the cause of Christ. But He will use the giving of His people. And so as we go through this tonight, I just want to let you know this isn't an indictment on your giving. I did not go review the giving records. I never have, by the way, and see who's giving what and how much they're giving. Uh, I have not done that, and I, I never will. Uh, so by no means is this an indictment or an accusation that you're not giving enough. Uh, but what I do know is, in a crowd this size, statistically people, or statistically speaking, there are some people that are not giving. And what I also know is there are some people that are giving that perhaps God wants them to give more. And I don't know that. And I, I make no presumption, and I, I'm honestly not trying to guilt anybody to giving any more money. I want you to give as the Lord leads. And I hope you'll see that tonight. So the idea of striving together has the idea of we must earnestly with purpose and focus move forward. And so to not think about finances would be really negligent in that regard. We would be foolish to say that we could go forward without considering this idea of the material cost of ministry. Uh, every time the church puts on an event, it costs money. Uh, and I'll tell you what, we are a blessed church. There are so many functions that this church puts on that are free of cost to the people that attend. And that's a great blessing because there are some people that may not be able to afford certain activities. Because, And so again, your giving is, is a reflection of God's blessing. And I'm not accusing anybody of not doing what they ought to. Uh, but I just want to encourage you, because this is in God's Word. So how do we fund the work of the ministry? Uh, the big question many ask, should we tithe of our income? Uh, if so, are we talking the gross or the net? 
Do birthday gifts and Christmas gifts count? Do I tithe off those things? What about bonuses? If not the tithe, then how much should we give and how often? And what I found out in, in my study, uh, that this question is somewhat complicated question, uh, and it's far deeper than a pat 10%. Uh, if you're giving 10%, praise God, but uh, I would submit to you tonight you're doing the bare minimum. Uh, and we'll get to that here in a few moments. Uh, the answer is less about hard income and more about heart intentions. If you did put your finger in Mark chapter 6, if you would look with me in verse 19 through 21. We're talking about the heart of giving and striving in giving. Matthew 6, 19, Lay up not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Very well known, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I have material things. I have a house, we have vehicles, more vehicles than we need, honestly. Um, we have off-road vehicles. Uh, we, we are blessed, and so by no means am I saying that if you have material things, are, are you wicked? But where's your heart? Uh, if we're not careful, we can get caught up in the pride of life and the lust of the flesh, and we will invest our dollars in the things that this world has to offer. And that will be an indication of where our heart is. And we'll, we'll get to it. We'll talk briefly about the, the widow and her, her, what we would consider insignificant offering. But God says it was greater than the rest of them that had cast in much. It's about the heart of the matter. Listen, God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need a dime that you have. I love when Pastor said this morning that, you know, all these things that we work to get, God has to come down to look at. He's not impressed uh, with your portfolio, your investment portfolio, your mutual funds. He's not impressed with that. But if we're not careful, we will focus so much on the material things that this world has to offer. And our heart is revealed in where we're investing our finances. We need to be careful how we use our money. So what does the Old Testament say about giving? Tithing in the Old Testament. And some of this will be pretty elementary, but we'll look at it quickly. And I do have eight pages of notes, so we won't be here past 8.45. No, we won't be that long. But The word tithe is derived from the word tenth. Obviously, hence where we get 10%. Uh, that is often associated with it. Uh, the tithe in the Old Testament was a major aspect of worship and, and really financial stewardship. Uh, here's a couple examples. This is pre-law, right? Pre-Mosaic law. Abraham gave a tithe to Melchizedek in, in Genesis 14, and Jacob vowed to give God a tenth of all that he had given him in Genesis 28. Uh, 
however, these scriptures uh, do not necessarily prescribe the practice of tithing per se, but rather describe actions of a thankful people. There was no Mosaic law at the time. Uh, It's interesting that there's giving still identified in the Bible. We, we see those things taking place. But the prescriptive tithes in the Old Testament that we often, often think of uh, are found in the Mosaic Law and were extremely diverse. They're not as just simple as 10%. Um, the people of Israel gave quite a bit more than 10%, uh, according to many estimates. And uh, it was to give sacrifices, free will offerings, and, and other taxes, and, and other things. But here's a couple examples. Leviticus 27, 30, and 32, and Deuteronomy 12, 4 through 18. That's where we see the typical tithes of Israel's increase or their agricultural products that we, we would often think of as the tithe of their first fruits. Uh, but there was also a tithe given to the Levites, Numbers 18, 27 through 28, and a tithe given to the fatherless, uh, foreigners, and widows in Deuteronomy 14, 28, and 29. We're not going to take the time to look at these. But, but it wasn't, even in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a simple 10% and your conscience is good and you walk away. Uh, because if you remember, the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ and those things. And it, it was really revealing a lot of things. And God was uh, teaching the people of Israel, it's really about their heart. Uh, it wasn't, certainly uh, there was a law and, and we can look at Malachi and if you didn't give, it was robbing God. But um, God was teaching them some things in in the matter of giving. Uh, They were really an act of worship and gratitude that God had given His people all that they had. It was honoring Him with the first fruits or or giving back to Him out of a a spirit of worship and gratitude. And uh, Malachi 3.18, if they were not going to give, it was considered robbing God. And I know I I don't remember a lot of messages from being a, a young child but I definitely remember a few about if you don't give 10%, you're robbing God. And uh, we'll get to that here in a moment. Uh, I think that's a, a misuse of, or maybe too strongly uh, put forward idea about tithe. Uh, <clears throat> but there's another thing I want you to consider from the Old Testament before we move into the New Testament. 10% tithe on, on the harvest in their, in their flocks was simply one aspect of their they're really diverse givings and offerings um, <clears throat> uh, under the law. Some estimate as much as 25% of their increase was obligated to be given back for the various types of offerings, uh, the heave offering and those kind of things to take care of the needs of the Levites and, and, and those that were uh, in the service of the Lord, we might say today. Uh, so, what is the tithe? Is 10% still required? Uh, it's awful quiet in here tonight. You guys are making me nervous. I'm going to get a sip. So if it's more than 10%, are we talking about 25% of our income now? If we look at all of those things that the, uh, the children of Israel were, uh, were told to give, or has the dawn of the gospel clarified how we are truly to think about giving? Is all that done away? And, and as I was pondering these things, the Lord just sends circumstances and situations your way sometimes. And I, had did, I think I dealt with two, three, at least two that I can think of right off the top of my head of people and, and having a dispute with the tithe. 
And, and honestly, they come at it with a sanctimonious attitude that, boy, we're under grace and we don't got to give anymore. And that's really their attitude. Um, and, and as we go into the New Testament, you'll see that there's, that's nothing, there's nothing more further from the truth than that. Um, so how much should we be giving? What does the New Testament say about tithing? Bible scholars in here tonight. Anyone? It's, tithe is mentioned three times in the New Testament. And none of those three times is it prescribing the giving of tithes. It's always used in a greater context, um, and it's incidental to some other teaching. Jesus says, ye scribes and Pharisees, you give of the tithe of the, uh, the anise and the cumin, and well, there's one more, the mint, 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 anise and, and cumin, and, and, uh, but that really wasn't the matter at hand. Uh, they were leaving off the weightier matters of the law. And so there, there, there's no specific command in the New Testament to tithe. 10%. So what are we to make of the silence in the New Testament regarding tithing? And this is where we must go to our Bibles and see what the Bible, or more specifically, what does the New Testament say about giving? What does the Bible say here? Uh, if it doesn't directly deal with tithe, what is it specifically saying? And so I want to remind you, with every element of the Old Testament, we must read through the lens of the whole uh, story of Scripture. Um, we don't live in the time of ancient Israel. And thus, we can't statically apply the prescriptions of the Old Testament to us today. Um, uh, life, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ fundamentally transformed uh, everything and how we interact with the ceremonial and, and even the, the civil regulations of the Mosaic Law. Uh, it is different today. Galatians 3.25 says this, But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Uh, but does that mean we just cast off all the teachings of the Old Testament? I don't believe so. So this brings us to the question tonight, how then should we give? How do we give? For the record, I'm pro-tithe. Um, I cannot dogmatically say that from the New Testament that you ought to tithe. But if you want to look at 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 13 and 14, I can show you where I stand on the matter and why I stand there. Um, <clears throat> but I'll tell you this, it's a good place to start. The tithe, the 10% is a good place to start. Uh, that's not where our giving should end based on New Testament teachings. And I hope to clarify that for you this morning, or excuse me, this evening. Based on the New Testament teaching, I can't be dogmatic in this. Uh, and, and I'll show you why in a few moments. But um, however, if you benefit from this assembly, you ought to be doing something to contribute materially. I believe that with all my heart. If you're there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 13. It says, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Even so, we might also say likewise, hath the Lord, listen, the Lord ordained 
that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. I think that for me, for Justin DeGarmo, in my approach to giving, that solidifies it for me. I'm content to begin at 10%. God did not just forsake all of that. There's, listen, there's examples pre-law of tithe. Certainly the law prescribed it. Uh, in this example, it says, even so, the Lord ordained. Now it doesn't say the Lord ordained that we give 10% in this new age of uh, church age or the age of grace. Uh, but for me, that, and I'm just telling you where I stand tonight, because I can't take you to the New Testament and say, thou shalt give 10% of your income. <clears throat> However, I think the principles are in the Word of God that have led me to that conclusion. But as I said, that's where you start. And we're, I'm going to give you some principles tonight that that's just the beginning. Listen, God doesn't need your money. I'll even go so far as to say God doesn't want your money but he wants your heart. And if he has your heart, you will not have a problem giving and giving abundantly, generously. Uh, So how should we give? The overarching truth in 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 our understanding of giving is that God gives graciously and generously, does he not? So when we look at an example in our God of how to give, boy, He is gracious and He is generous. So there's a good place to start. And I don't think there's any truth more apparent in Scripture than this. Man, our God is gracious and man, our God is is generous. God delights in giving, so accordingly, we as believers, being conformed to the image of Christ, should equally delight in giving as He does. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. We're talking about giving tonight. And what our God was willing to give for us. Galatians 2, 20. We we often quote this verse, and it says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live, and the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. Look what it says who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, finances is the easy part. We ought to be willing to give of ourselves. And we'll look at an example where they gave of themselves first. But if we're not willing to even serve people, where's our heart? Certainly our heart isn't there. While tithing an exact amount of one's income may not be commanded in the New Testament, giving is. We are commanded to give. And what more specifically is commanded is in the manner in which we should give. A heart in giving cheerfully. You guys have all heard those things, I'm sure. Giving in the New Testament is not about hard income, but about our heart intention. Does God have your heart tonight? Does God have your giving? Does God have your wallet? It's about a selfless and sacrificial attitude. When we think of what God gave, that we might be reconciled to Him. And that attitude overflows from a heart responding to the generosity 
of the gospel, the generosity of our Savior. So let us consider a few principles. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The first one tonight, give generously. Uh, I encourage you to turn to these passages uh, tonight, but uh, if you don't, I'm going to read them to you anyway. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 3 through 5, For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Have you given yourself to the Lord? Listen, if God has you, He has all that you own and possess. And we won't hold dear to those things that uh, oftentimes we do. Paul uses the example of the Macedonia churches in Macedonia to teach us that giving is to be done generously. In this verse, it says, For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. We're talking about generosity tonight. Uh, and here's just a note of recommendation. I encourage you, you go read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Uh, boy, it'll, it'll blow your mind about giving. And then go back and read it a second or a third time. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, if you want to understand giving, I encourage you to read those chapters and, and, and read them more than once. You'll come to find out 10% really is just the starting point. The Macedonian churches gave generously beyond their means, it would appear. Beyond their power. Uh, And they begged earnestly for the opportunity to do so. Hey, we want to do this for you. Uh, Take my cash, preacher. That's a dangerous thing to say today. I can tell not everybody's comfortable tonight. That's just the reality. Uh, Some of you got your wallets held tight tonight. Listen, nothing's changing. I'm not passing offering plates. I'm not looking for a raise. I'm just trying to encourage you uh, through the Word of God to give as God wants you to give. Uh, God doesn't need your money. He just wants your heart. I'm looking at the wrong stuff here. I couldn't figure out where I was at. Excuse me. They gave generously. This generosity is an overflowing of understanding what God did for us in Christ. What the gospel means and how God gave everything. This isn't about just throwing some change in the offering plate as it passes by. This is about seeing a need, meeting that need, and doing everything you are to make sure there isn't a need in the future, maybe. That, that's my version. Listen, we ought to give generously. And as you see, as we go through these principles, that is going to be different for each individual. So don't start trying to request the giving records so you compare your giving with other people. That's not what we're talking about tonight. It's not trying to impress other people. That's the problem with us in our flesh. That's what we want to do. The Pharisees, they would blow the trumpet and, and watch me give. We're just talking about you giving generously, and, and we'll look at the principle tonight proportionally. 
But give generously. Listen, you ought to give regularly. 1 Corinthians 16, in, in verse 1, it says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. So Paul teaches the Corinthians here to give regularly, or we might say systematically. Uh, they set it up. In this case, it was the first day of the week. And uh, what he is emphasizing here is how often to put something aside or stored up. Though we should give as needs arise, we should also be consistent and disciplined in our giving. Listen, that's how churches plan budgets, and that's how we can ensure we have enough money in the account so we don't go delinquent on the electric bill. We're storing that thing up. And so certainly we... We take your money weekly. There's the box back there. You can drop some in on your way out. But I think it's interesting, and in Sunday school we've been looking at Matthew chapter 6, but Jesus links giving with prayer and fasting. In Matthew chapter 6, it's linked. That chapter in verse 1 opens up about giving your alms, and then it goes on to prayer and fasting. And so I would say... Uh, that both of these practices, prayer and fasting, should be practiced with some element of discipline and regularity. Would you not agree we should pray regularly? Without ceasing, perhaps. Right? And we're certainly exhorted and encouraged to fast. And so there should be some... I don't think anybody in here today would argue that there should be some regularity in that. I think we can infer, make, make the connection that regular giving would be expected as well. Maybe it's just me. Maybe that's what God has put on my heart. Uh, but what I'm telling you tonight is uh, there's examples in scriptures of giving regularly. So don't think that you, you gave one time and you're good. Uh, the toilet paper, people use that. It runs out. If we don't pay the electric company, these won't be on next week. Well, it might take them a little longer than that, but but certainly we don't want to be delinquent on our bills. Amen. So we ought to give regularly uh, to meet the needs of the body. We've all agreed that this is our facility and we want to meet here. So we all need to pitch in and pay the bills to make this facility operate. Right? You ought to not be a mooch, a leech. Nobody likes a mooch. Have you ever had a friend that was a mooch? Boy, he's only around when you got money. Oh, man, kick that guy to the curb. You know, that's annoying. Listen, we all ought to be doing our part. And so that's where we talk about give proportionally. In 2 Corinthians, back in chapter 8, we'll be in chapter 8 quite a bit, and 9 a little bit. Now therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to the man hath, not according to the hath not. God is not requesting you to give more than you have. He is not asking to give beyond your ability. But proportionally according to how God's blessed you. This is pretty simple stuff, but you guys are pretty tense. He encourages that giving be according to their means. What they're able to. 
If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, it says. What they have, not according to what he does not have. So don't lose sleep because you're not given as much as maybe you think somebody else is given. God's not requiring that of you. Just give what you're willingly able to do. When I think of giving, I'm just so thankful that we have a God that loves us. Listen, your giving's not earning a ticket to heaven. You're giving because you understand the great love that he had for us. I, this is in Mark chapter 12, but Jesus contrasts the small offering of the poor widow with the gift of the rich to teach really the same lesson, the proportionality of giving. Some people have this much money and some people have this much money. And there's people all in between that. God doesn't expect everybody to give this much because not everybody has that. Uh, so don't ever feel guilty about a small offering. Listen, if God has laid that on your heart, that is more pleasing to him than thousands, tens of thousands or millions of dollars that somebody can give of their abundance. It's not about what you think you can do for God. It's about the heart behind the gift. I'm just doing this because I know God loves me and I understand how generous and how sacrificially he gave for me. And I just want to give back as he leads and directs in my heart. <clears throat> give sacrificially. This one's kind of touchy. There's examples of sacrificial giving in the New Testament. Again in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8, verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Uh, back there in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul adds, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. The type of giving in which the Macedonian church engaged involved in sacrifices of themselves to God. We can, this is in, uh, we can look at this in Philippians chapter 4. For the sake of time, I, I don't want to go there tonight. It, but I, I just want you to know, giving sacrificially might be one of the most misunderstood aspects of giving today. Giving inconveniences us, but the gospel calls us to selflessness and sacrifice. Sometimes we think, well, I gave my tithe this month, or, or if you're not a tither, you, you gave whatever offering that, that you felt led of the Lord, and well, I did that this month, and, and we have, are content because we know we've done basically the bare minimum. But we are called to give selflessly and sacrificially. Do we give to the point we feel the money is missing? That's a convicting thought. When we think about how much our Savior gave, and really when we think about the needs around us, uh, and listen, the, uh, go to Philippians chapter 4. We might be here a little while. Philippians 4, we'll, we'll start reading in, in verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. The Apostle Paul, 
writing to the Philippians. Uh, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I had departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Listen, when we give, God's keeping an account. But I have all and abound and am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor, look what it says, a sweet uh, smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. God's looking for some sacrificial giving. Um, and we know they gave beyond their power. And of course, we, we're very familiar with verse 19, but God shall supply all your need according to the riches in His glory by Christ Jesus. And a lot of times we, we claim that, but that is in the context of these people giving and really giving sacrificially when we put the, uh, the, the stuff there in Corinthians and in, in the book of Acts, uh, when we couple it with this, we go back and look that they were giving sacrificially to ensure that the word of God would go forward. Are we willing to do that here? Do you notice that your money is missing when you give? And again, I'm not trying to guilt you into giving more than what you have. That's not what I'm saying. But God, if God lays something on your heart, uh, there was a time, one time, and I, I hesitate to use myself as an example because I don't want people to think that I'm somebody because I'm not. But there have been times, by the grace of God, I was obedient to what He worked in my life about. And we, Cindy and I were just burdened about something. We gave some money to it. And I could not believe I was blown away at how God reciprocated. I didn't think we could afford to give. When you look at the books, we can't afford this. But boy, God is, I feel like God wants us to do this. And so you know what, Lord? And God came through every time we've ever done that. Does the call to take up our cross not also carry the call to lay down our cash? We get far too attached to our money. We get far too attached to our possessions. What I want you to understand is, if we go back to chapter 1 in Philippians, and we're talking about only let your conversation be as it becomes. Listen, our manner of life, our citizenship in heaven ought to dictate how we live our lives on this earth. That includes our money. That includes our giving. And so when we're investing our dollars in the gospel, boy, that's a good investment. We just don't like that because we want to see the dividends. We want to look at the 401k plan. And it might be kind of depressing to check these days, but um, listen, you can't go wrong investing in heaven. So what am I telling you tonight? Sometimes I think we're missing an opportunity to experience the joy and have an offering that's well-pleasing to God with fruit that will abound to our account in the future days to come that we may not see because we're holding on to something that we think we need. I'm not opposed to retirement accounts, but what are you living for? 
You remember the foolish man that tore his barns down and built up bigger ones? And God said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Who are those things going to be that you've stored up? Listen, I'm not saying you can't leave something to your kids or things, but what is your focus in life? Are you trying to amass a great estate that can be auctioned off on highbids.com? Maybe I'm the only person that looks at that, but there's always estate sales and people are auctioning off your junk or people's junk for, for very reasonable prices. It doesn't mean a lick is what I'm selling, telling you today. You would be far better off taking and investing that into the things of God, into the kingdom of God. Do we give sacrificially? <clears throat> I'm getting ahead of my notes. I believe we need a new building. And, and if, if you don't believe that, talk to a Sunday school teacher. Talk to the Alstroms. They're fitting 15 or so people in a tiny room. Jared's not a small guy. I don't know how God's going to give us a facility. Perhaps there will be an outside source of income and God could just give us millions of dollars. He's able to do that. And I have the faith to believe that he could do that. But I am convinced, and I believe this with all my heart, until us as Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, the people that make up this assembly, are willing to give everything that we can to make that a reality, God will withhold that. I believe that with all my heart because that is an indication that perhaps we're not ready. Everyone wants the millionaire to come pay for it. But what are we talking about? We're talking about our heart. Do we truly have a heart for this ministry to go forward? I hear some amens. I hear some, yeah, we do. Does your pocketbook show that? And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. And listen, we have very faithful givers here. But what I want to understand, you to understand tonight, does God have our heart? And if you look at your pocketbook, it'll be a reflection of whether he has your heart or not. <clears throat> you know what the great news is? There's a principle in the New Testament to give secretly. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms... Let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So what does Jesus mean when he says, let the left hand shouldn't know what the right hand is doing? I really don't think that he meant we must uh, sign our tithe check as anonymous, and that you can't benefit from the charitable giving for tax purposes. I don't think that's really what it means. Uh, I think there's a general theme here of secret giving for the sake of eternal reward in Scripture. We all crave the praise of people. To some extent or another, we do. Our, our flesh does. Maybe it, it is a better way to say that. 
So we need to be aware of the hypocrisy in our lives and our hearts tendency to give in an effort for the praise of men. We need to be careful there. Uh, I think that's the principle that we see there being taught. Not that you can't benefit from your taxes. We give out giving records here. You guys are quiet. Here we go. Maybe this will change the mood. Give cheerfully. I know you all know these verses here, but every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Look at what this says. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. God loves a cheerful giver. God delights in that. Uh, Giving motivated by the sacrifice and selflessness of the gospel is cheerful. Why? Because it trusts that every deposit in the kingdom of heaven will earn eternal interest. But we're investing in eternity when we give. That's something to get excited about. You guys aren't convincing me. And Paul, what does he say here? He says, so after he says that uh, being a cheerful giver, he says, God is able to make all the grace abound to you. Did you know that God's able to meet your needs? He's not bound by the financial situation of America or the global market. He's able to meet your needs despite the worst economy. Now, I don't know what that grace may be. I'm afraid we just want it to be cash in hand. But back to Malachi, we talk about God who can rebuke the devourer. Uh, We had a car that never had a problem. I never understood that. It's like, how is this possible? It just ran and ran and ran. And, you know, they kind of do that until they don't. But this one did, I think we put a hundred and some thousand miles on there. And I, all I did, I think I put a set of brakes on it and changed the fluids. That was it. Uh, I believe God rebuked the devourer. I believe God took care of us because we did not have very good means at the time. Uh, airmen don't make a lot in the military. Um, now, they make a living wage. They just don't go buy a bunch of cars and junk. But um, some of the airmen say, oh, I don't make enough. I'm like, man, you make more than I do now. But Listen, God has the ability to make grace abound and to meet your needs in ways that we may not comprehend. That may be keeping you from illness so you can go to work and make money. Uh, it could be so many different ways. So certainly it means financial provision. But does he only mean financial provision? I don't think so. That's why he says he can make grace abound. Listen, the church isn't just a mutual fund in which we cheerfully invest. That's really not what this is. Uh, But the reality is God will meet our needs. It says all grace abound. What I've learned is in my life is when we are faithful in our giving and we're not giving grudgingly and we're being a cheerful giver, one of the graces that God gives, He he gives us a contentment with what we have. 
That's a good thing. But godliness with contentment is great gain. But I'm not saying if you can't give cheerfully not to give. Confess your struggle. Seek God's help on the disconnect between your heart and the gospel and what he's done for you. Uh, And pray for joy. And just continue to walk considering the generosity that God has poured out on your life. Listen, sometimes it's just a matter of thinking about those things in the blessings that God has, has given us. Give strategically. You can look at 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15. And there's some teachings there that, uh, that the giving was done strategically in the sense that it was accomplishing something worthwhile. I believe if you give to this church, it's worthwhile. It's strategic. It's, it's, of, uh, it's a good investment. Uh, but So there's the notes, 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15. But I, I want to move on here because we're... Uh, I need to draw this to a close. But you need to give with a clear conscience. 2 Corinthians 8, 20, 21, Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in the abundance that is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And this is about taking the gifts that we're giving and and using those and the exercise of those funds. And you can look at 1 Corinthians 16 as well. Uh, But one of the greatest examples that you guys can probably relate to is in Acts chapter 4. And we see the early church selling their possessions and laying the funds at the feet of the apostles. Uh, They had a clear conscience that they were giving it to God via the local church, if you will. Uh, They knew that they could trust the people of God. And and that's Acts chapter 4, latter 32 through 37 is a good place. Um, And so I think this is an administrative pattern for us as well. Where do you give your money? I would be very careful with parachurch organizations. That's kind of a different subject for a different time, uh, but I I just would say that God works through the local church. And and so you can have a clear conscience in your giving, giving to the local church. And and I believe this church does very good, and and they're very prudent and financially wise. Um, And so we see the pattern there. We should entrust, I mean, we're entrusting a lot of money to the local church. So we have to have the confidence that that they're going to do the right thing. And so if your mistrust of how a local church or ministry, whether it's credible or if it's appropriate, uh, and you don't want to give there, you should probably not go there. Um, Listen, if you can't trust how they're going to use your money, you probably can't trust your spiritual growth. There And again, this isn't a place that you have to be worried. I'm convinced of that. And that's not because I'm on staff. I was convicted of that well before I was on staff. And I think this is the best church in South Dakota. And I say that because I don't travel much anymore. And so there might be some decent churches out there. But I'll tell you what, there isn't a person that comes to this place that doesn't say, Wow. And I would even say they recognize our, our giving as well. This church is very generous when it comes time to giving. And so I'll, it's not an indictment, but listen, do we want to go forward? Does God have your dollars? This is just one of the areas that we need to get right 
in order for us to go forward and strive for the gospel together. And so I know tonight I didn't ask, answer some of your questions about how, how much, because I don't know. It's different for all of us. And so when we look at these principles from the New, New Testament, and we understand these things, and our stewardship comes down to, I think, four things. And these are out of 2 Corinthians uh, it should be a proportional amount in keeping with one's income and according to one's means. We looked at that. You can look at 2 Corinthians 8, we, uh, 11 through 12. A generous amount. We talked about generosity. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, 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 from the heart or a heartfelt amount, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. And then maybe a sacrificial amount, 2 Corinthians 8, 3. So if we can give with those principles in mind and have a clear conscience with our God that we're giving as we ought to give, listen, I'm not the judge of you. And you can't judge me either. Now, if you want to look at my giving records, you can. I'm not ashamed. And I don't say that pridefully. I just say that because I know we have been faithful to do this, and I have never lacked for anything. But we must remember that if we have food and raiment, we ought to be content. And so when we talk about lacking, oftentimes we think we need a bigger house, we need a newer car. We, that's not what God says. So don't get a misconception. But the reality is, man, we serve such a good God. None of us have only food and raiment. We are so much far more abundantly blessed. Listen, giving is not a begrudging submission. It's not because your pastor is telling you that you need to give or something like that. Well, yeah, you're right, preacher. I need to give. It's not thinking that giving your 10% is some type of God tax and here's my 10%, God, now leave me alone. God wants far more than 10%. He wants your heart. As we have been dealt by God generously, we begin to deal generously with the things He has given us. When we understand the abundance of His generosity toward us, it makes it a little bit easier to be a little generous as we give back to Him. So as we experience the generosity of God, we really just become generous ourselves. And so in view of this, and I'm not trying to change anybody's opinion on, on giving. 10%, 10% should not be the goal. Instead, we should continue to think through how we can afford to give more and more. And, and I say that understanding that God works on my heart. And sometimes I'm resistant to what He wants me to do. But as we understand the outpouring of love and generosity and grace that God has put on our lives, God, how, what do you want me to do? Can I do more? Because I'm investing in eternity. Don't miss out on a heavenly blessing 
because you want to enjoy the material things of this world. The gospel compels us to give. It really confronts our tendencies toward greed, to control things, our comfort or conveniences that we want. So instead of the tithe, consider asking yourselves if you are giving a proportional amount, a generous amount, a heartfelt amount, a sacrificial amount. How's your giving tonight? We looked at it. Philippians gave to the ministry of Paul. Why did they do that? And I would say tonight it's because they understood the command to give. They knew God would bless and meet their needs. But they also understood it was necessary for the work of the ministry. And that it was well-pleasing to God. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. My question to you tonight is simply this. Is your giving well-pleasing to God? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this night to gather together with your people. And Lord, it's been a blessing to be here. And certainly, Lord, I know the challenges of, Lord, when you burden our heart to give and the hesitation that we are prone to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would work in each and every heart today. I pray that we would give in a way that is pleasing to you. And Lord, I pray that our giving would further the cause of Christ. That we could band together as a church family to strive for the faith of the gospel. Lord, that through our giving, we could do more for Christ. And that souls would be saved and lives changed, Lord, and that you would be glorified. So Father, we pray that you'd work in hearts as only you can. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.